0: seven
1: please happy new year yeah yeah happy new year (laughs) we're recording this on new year's eve huh
0: yep
1: yep and seth has a brand new microphone yep um, yeah, he got it from Miss Lindsay at Journey Church. Absolutely perfect now, gift. Seth Thomas, we've had a big week, Tim. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you've had some snow, but we've had a That's much true. bigger week here in the South uh, because we had Christmas, right? How yeah. was your Christmas? Um, Christmas, good. Christmas was good. Yeah, absolutely. What? What? What were a couple of presents that you got?
0: Um, we got me a magic eraser.
1: Yeah, magic eraser, oh, a white perfect. cleaning product. I got that. Is literally a, his got favorite got a, a thing. A floppy. And you got yeah. There's one that's pink. That's right. Yeah. And there's one that's what else, what other color? Blue. And there's blue. blue. Yeah, I mean, so literally we spent, you know, some money.
0: Mister is gone.
1: On a basketball hoop and a soccer goal and some hockey sticks and all sorts of that magic eraser it's in the title but the magic eraser man that just <laughs> speaks absolutely it, it forms part of yes. what is known as the yes. floppy yeah now seth thomas yeah what happened the day after christmas nope that seth. was a big day too but what happened
0: um my birthday
1: yes ladies and gentlemen Seth turned thirteen years old. Happy birthday, Seth! Yes. Thank you. What did we do on your birthday?
0: Um, I do awesome things. Um, we
1: did awesome things.
0: I got, the, uh, um, got food.
1: We got some food. Did people sing to you? Yeah. For did they so sing at so church, church too? Yeah. Yep. Yep. They sang mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was wanted. And at the restaurant, absolutely. <laughs> what restaurant? And we celebrated. Yeah, we celebrated by McDonald's for lunch. His absolute mm. favorite chicken nugget meal. <laughs> and then where did we go? We went somewhere for dinner, and we had more chicken um, nuggets. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we had Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I mean it, it was lit, literally. And Carl, no, no Carl's Jr. Uh, but we.
0: I'm gonna put now, some
1: No mango smoothie today. Sake. Yeah that was a vanilla shake today at McDonald's. It was such a bummer. Yeah. So it's been an up and down week, but mostly up, guys. A lot of chicken um, nuggets. A lot of chicken nuggets. A <laughs> lot of chicken nuggets. And what do we dip those nuggets in, son? Ranch. Yeah. ranch. We're a ranch house, man. It fits our complexion and it fits our taste buds. <laughs> That's just how it works. Now, Seth, yeah. what do you hope will happen in 2022 what do you hope will happen next year um um, um mr i was coming um yep tennessee. mr evans is coming to tennessee his mm. previous teacher from ohio is coming to visit in tennessee so that's a great that's a great answer what else
0: um tim he did with it
1: tim <laughs> hit that music nice <laughs> perfect set. Yes, indeed, everybody. It is a last podcast of twenty twenty-one, at least for us. Yeah. Or the first podcast the first for everybody else. Of twenty twenty-two. And so we're doing I mean, first of all, hello. Hi. And happy happy birthday to Seth and all the December Christmas babies out there. Also, um, happy Christmas. And did I say that already? <laughs> yeah. I had my, literally, I was telling Tim, I had my COVID booster shot yesterday, and I just feel, I feel like a piece of vanilla construction paper that was left in the rain on a major freeway. It just sort of disintegrates. So I'm sorry. I meant to say Merry Christmas if I hadn't said that already, but evidently I had and got tripped up. So Timothy, there's some big news. I mean, I don't want to hog... You know the big news from the Erie family. What there was big news in the Stafford family, right? And and I think we talked about we this talked about last episode. Last episode yeah. But but how how was the gift received? Uh, and what's it been like since?
0: Well, I'll have to tell you the story. Did I tell you the story of picking the dog up? Uh, I don't think so. There but was sheriffs even if you involved and in fighting and a whole thing. It was very dramatic. Oh, let's hear it. Okay, hold
1: on. Let me set the stage. All right, Tim has decided that his life is too calm and peaceful. That's correct. And is adding a puppy. Yeah. (laughs) The puppy is currently in Tim's office Mm -hmm. as he's recording with his two children upstairs. These are what we call in the business, ideal podcast conditions. (laughs) 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 So tell us, Timothy, about... The picking up of the puppy. I'll we'll give you the, the
0: quick version. We were, it was my friend and I, our really good friends got the dog's dad. They're all rescues. Uh, they're being used for breeding. So this guy specializes in rescuing dogs from becoming breeding animals. Got so the it. only two of us, small office. The guy uh, doesn't have the best people skills in the first place. This woman came in the, with her. The guy her, that you're buying from? Yeah. This woman came in with her son to adopt also. He puts all the adoptions in one day, which is also probably a flaw on his part. Mm. Mm. Uh, he was already agitated. She walked in. She tried to trade the, her dog for another dog, but all the dogs are taken. He starts getting more agitated, said, you've tried this before. I've already switched dogs for you like three times. They get in this big altercation. She sits down. Mm. And he start, tells her to leave. She won't leave. He starts swearing. Her kid starts crying. He's yelling at her. He says, I'm going to call the cops. He does call the cops. She leaves then. The cops come in. And then he, well, during the process too, he's like, this is, He's like, this is the worst day I've ever had in the 10 years I've been adopting dogs. And then he looks at me and my friend and goes, you know what? Everybody that's in here, give your dogs back. I'll refund your money. Just go home. I can't do this anymore. Just leave. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not going to be the case today. So <laughs> oh, it was very, no. very dramatic, very small office, very weird. In, yeah. Um, but now I oh, have a puppy. So the kids were very, very excited. He's peeing yeah, don't everywhere give us a little more on, on that. Everything. They came. My wife took them out of the house. They were doing something, and then I got the dog and came home, and then they came home and saw the puppy, and they were—I mean—they're were very excited. They don't know what to do with it, but it's so little you can't—it can't go on walks yet, and it can't really be around other dogs or go outside too much. So it's a lot of cleaning up pee. Yeah. And then chewing fair. on everything. Yeah. Very exciting. Getting up in the I mean, middle you of you knew a bunch this. Of yeah, you knew this. We did. This is not
1: surprising. Nope. So that's that. That's that well, mattress man. God bless us, everyone. What was <laughs> what, what what movie was that from?
0: The mattress man.
1: Yeah. Uh, Punch drunk love. Nice. I I'm learning that you throw random quotes in. That's true. And maybe one or two people out of the one or two people that listen to us will usually pick those up. Yeah. And so, well done. It's my job. So today we've got man, we've got a full plate, Tim. I mean, listen, fifty-two weeks in a year, fifty-two podcasts. That's right. From Voxology. In fact, we don't ever spend time with our families. We we <laughs> simply do this and plan this and study for this. That's all we do. Yep. No, not really. But man, we have extra reason to be thankful at the end of this year. Number one, we're alive. Number two. We have relatively healthy beings in each of our households, which is a wonderful thing. And number three, we are supported by literally the best podcast community in the history of the planet. And I know this, first of all, because uh, you have emailed us at unprecedented rates this fall. And we're doing our best that we've got, I I don't know how many, um, but it's hundreds of emails in the Vox Ology mailbox, which is glorious, and um, so many of them lately have been about stories of deconstruction yeah. and incredible questions about how all of this works. Um, but the other thing, I have 11 people to thank um, who came on board on Patreon in the last week which is just ridiculous and and unbelievably generous yeah and so i I need to literally just thank susan and i need to thank frank and val and my friend nick beret um who makes me want to sing raspberry beret by prince whenever (laughs) i say his name cheryl and sarah and jason and jenny i think i think they belong together they share a last name But there were two separate entries into patreon so if you're not married you have very good taste in podcasts and maybe you should get to know each other (laughs) um andy cynthia and michael all the way from france um incredibly generous and kind um support of the cause france and then pete and pete i don't think is from france I think Pete's just a good old American, you know, maybe like Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Kentucky. Um, anyway, I we are so unbelievably grateful for your constant, incredible, and generous support. We're able, I mean, here's the big thing. We're able to dream dreams and have conversations that um that we could not have otherwise because of your generosity. Totally. So, yeah. Do you want to add anything to that, Tim? I, I saw you. No, I kind of want to just
0: hear from the people in the other countries. I'm curious. Like we talk so much about American evangelicalism. I'd be so curious to hear the French listeners experience. And I know there's a couple mm. in New Zealand and Vietnam and Korea. W- were there like 78 countries? Yeah, it was a lot. I'd love to hear all the different kind of what,
1: yeah, this all looks like in your neck of the woods. Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. And one of the ways you can tell us that is that we have a new website. Oh, <laughs> look at that transition! <laughs> and it's vo- if you go to Voxology Podcast, it's fancy, ladies and gentlemen. Again, a shout out to Brenda, Summer, Gina, and their team for doing that for us. And my goodness, we are official, and in no way will ever live up to the beauty of the website. Personally. <laughs> Um, But in all seriousness, we have been uh, blown away. I don't have language strong enough to just simply say thank you for your kindness. It is so fulfilling to hear from you um, that this has become a place for people who identify as spiritually homeless. Like that language has actually spoken to a lot of folks just besides the two of us. And um, we're we're just so honored. I met with a guy who I hadn't seen since seminary, so late '90s, and uh, he was in town and is an avid listener. And it was just like that's amazing, yeah, just absolutely amazing. Um, and it just it's incredible. Uh, so thank you for being just such a support system, and for being family and community as we explore uh, all this stuff. It's just been it's been outrageous. Um, and, and with that in mind, I, I want to read and I've asked permission and I will excise personal details, but I've asked permission to read. I mean, we're getting tons of email for people sharing their deconstructing, you know, stories or moments, none of which turn out to be sexy or glamorous. (laughs) And, um, and I, I don't know, I, I feel Tim and I both feel like we're responsible uh, to share these because I think they speak for so many of us kind of along the way. So that is a theme that a lot of them will lead with. I like,
0: I felt like I was the only one or that my experience is, it's just a very isolating thing. So it seems to be helpful to hear that there's a lot of folks in this
1: boat. Yes. That is one of the things we do hear a lot is that I thought I was alone and it turns out no. And I forgot, going back to the website, that there's a survey that you can take, and hundreds of you have taken it, and we're grateful. Um, it's very, very eye-opening, and the amount of Seth love on, <laughs> on that survey is pretty amazing. Um, so, so this is going to be me reading and Tim commenting on several different emails that we've received because we want to honor these stories, and we want to let people know that they're not alone Uh, because a lot of these stories have come because other people shared their stories and we just think that's so powerful and then we've got um man alongside of all of these uh amazing stories are questions that are just crazy so we're going to try to get to some some, um yeah oh good night so we're that's what that's our goal so Um, Put it on 1.2 setting. (laughs) um, Sit back. Do some laundry. uh, Or have to go back to work. But for some of us, I know a school doesn't start right away. So, hey, giddy up. All right. So this is uh, from a young woman who says, I am a teacher who works in an evangelical non-denominational school. I can appreciate what your daughter is going through, Hannah. Um, is a student at a school like that and shared several episodes ago. I first We asked people to share kind of what prompted or started their deconstruction. I first started deconstructing when one of my best friends and colleagues decided to raise a picket sign on the corner of our parent church for Trump. I could not for the life of me understand how she thought this was not only a good idea, but said she felt like she had to stand up, quote in quotes that coupled my increased hyper awareness of quote canned worship that followed a very distinct formula (laughs) cue the piano music she says and let's not forget about the fog machine and spotlights i spent all of the worship time repenting for my anxiety and then the cherry on top was how the church handled wearing masks I can somewhat understand vaccine hesitancy, but not wearing masks because it impedes worship is completely ridiculous and selfish. To use God as an excuse to not have to wear masks is more than disheartening. I haven't been back to church since. Yeah.
0: Repenting of my anxiety,
1: is that what she said in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. That, During the service.
0: I think that's a very common, within this whole season of figuring out what's truth and what's not truth or what we're supposed to be doing, that's a big There's a lot of shame in deconstructing, especially when there are big mouths or large voices (laughs) saying things like sexy or whatever. But yeah, that existential shame or guilt or anxiety you feel because you're picking apart what you're told is holy is a real rough spot to be sitting in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I so resonate with the canned formula approach. (laughs) I mean, I've been a part of that and doing that forever. You know, and it's, it it's until- funny,
0: there's a there's a YouTube thing where this guy takes, and he's doing it with country music, but he takes, like, the top 10 country songs on the radio and puts them all into Pro Tools at the same time and then lines them up, and they're all in the same key, oh. the same rhythm, the same beat, and you can go in and out of each of them, and it just still plays like one song, and worship's That's almost amazing. exactly the same way. It's like this cookie-cutter mold
1: that you can kind of cut and paste and make it all work. Yeah. Way. Yep. We got another one here. Uh, Another young lady. Major topic for me was women in leadership. Uh, Since high school, many, many years ago, I have been taking spiritual gift tests. Every time I show to be gifted in leadership, and most of the time I'm told flat out that the test is wrong because uh, I can't be gifted that way as God doesn't gift women for leadership tried to accept it, tried to work around it, make my faith fit my lived experience. I truly believe I'm gifted at leadership and able to see the big picture and have countercultural ideas for change, discipleship, but but haven't found a church willing to agree with me. And yes, I've looked. However, God in his infinite wisdom has continued to place me and my family in small rural towns and communities. I haven't called my experience deconstruction as much as discipleship and becoming more Christ-like. But I find myself regularly questioning why others don't seem to desire to grow and change or at least seem more comfortable as they are. Yeah. So, yep. Same Zs. That has been a, that's a major, yes. We've talked about it a major theme Um, for us. And um, we're working on some resources for people in the middle of that women in leadership sort of conversation because that was when I changed on uh, within the last ten years, um, of kind of an inherited evangelical culture that that taught that women are of equal value um, and significance, and yet they're created for different and distinct roles, none of which happen to be in leadership. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we couldn't agree more, and we both have daughters, and those daughters <laughs> will be raised in churches where the norm. Is female pastors and elders, yeah, Absolutely. I and a bunch
0: of wise women in my life that would be. I would be less than if they were not able to speak into my life.
1: Well, and do you do you think all the sexual abuse and cover up would have happened? Now, so the church is just had, like
0: tying one hand behind its back or two
1: hands behind its back, and it's just a weird. Totally. Another young lady. Uh, this is my first time emailing. I just joined the email list and saw your invitation to respond to the deconstruction. Long
0: time listener, first time caller.
1: Yep. I love that. By the way, ever since I heard the national park metaphor for deconstruction, I've been calling this part of my faith journey exploration instead of deconstruction. I love that. I do too. I'm an outdoor enthusiast and I don't know jack crap about buildings, so the parks thing just <laughs> makes more and more sense to me. <laughs> i like that as a younger believer i was always uncomfortable with the way women were handled in church but i was never able to pinpoint my discomfort in a way that i could approach someone to talk about it i felt like it was an unspoken rule that women were restricted to serving with kids or hospitality hardest part for me though was that i've always been more attracted to male friendships than female ones and i always got lonely at the youth group events that separated me from my friends Mm -hmm. I was done with youth events for good after I was told I had to wear a t-shirt at a pool party and to mud games, a mud games event because my body might cause my male counterparts to stumble. Boy, we hear a lot about that. As an adult woman married to a non-Christian man, I got the sense that the church doesn't really know what to do with me, which made me feel lonely in spaces where I should have felt connection. I always thought that Jesus should bring us together despite our differences, but what I kept finding was I felt more other in the church than I did outside of it. Yeah. And I, wow, wow, that line. Yeah, that's a big one. Ooh, ooh as far as a single moment that prompted deconstruction goes it wasn't until the church of mine had a hard split that i really began to question things i eventually had to leave because i could not reconcile the way someone who i really look up to was being treated i never questioned jesus but i started wondering if we're supposed to show the world we're disciples by our by our love why do we seem to hurt one another more than love one another
0: (laughs) that's a great question
1: Uh, and she goes on that God has been so freaking good to me in the midst of this. I found a new community, um, and it's been a gr- it's been a safe space to lament, pursue healing, and has brought great joy to so many. That's so, great. Hallelujah, Hallelujah for that. Number three <laughs> Number or four? Three, four. Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a few more gang, and we just think these are so important. Uh, another young lady. Although someone told me young lady felt, doesn't feel as honoring as young woman. So I will try to not use young lady. I will use young woman. Yeah. I don't know how old any of these women are. So I'm safely going to go with young woman because no one is going to argue with that. Mike and Tim, um, I enjoy the conversations about deconstruction. And that is one topic I could go on forever about and she gives us a lot uh, that I will edit um, because it's really, really good. Um, anyway, I began my deconstruction journey while watching a show with Jim Baker's son. Um, so Jim Baker was a televangelist. I've seen this. And his son, yes, is very much not. Um, it was on the Sundance, Sundance channel around 10 years ago. It was called One Punk Under God, and in the show, Jay Baker met with a small community of misfits in the back of a bar in Brooklyn to just have church that read the Bible and talked about Christianity and about how it hurt people. As the show progressed, he talked very openly about the treatment of gays in America by, quote, so-called Christians and how he was in favor of same-sex marriage. That caught me off guard. I come from a very, very, very religious Pentecostal upbringing and I've always been told the gay people are sick and wrong and blah, blah, blah. she introduced me to different perspectives and authors and, and, and check this list out. This is like the who's who, Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, Pete Rollins, Brendan Manning, Tim Keller, John Piper, even Mark Driscoll, she says <laughs> that's, with. That's a broad that's swath. A, that's quite, yeah, that is a very broad swath of early 2000s. Um, Polarized became, by the two Mars Hills on either
0: side yeah exactly from, from rob bell the mark Driscoll.
1: i found myself wanting to know and learn more about how to read the bible how to interpret the things i read in a very short amount of time i grew more in the faith than i had in all my 25 plus years growing up in church became critical of the things i saw in my own church community and suddenly realized that people simply do not live what they preach i don't even think they understand what they're preaching mm. Uh, she continues, At that point, my the faith and teachings I had learned growing up were completely destroyed. Jesus remained, though. I started listening to podcasts and began to hear about this idea of deconstruction. I found that there are actually a group of people out there who grew up in church just like me and had questions that went unanswered just like me and were fed purity culture and secular music is bad just like me. <laughs> Oh, deconstruction for me is unlearning the lies we were told and the bad teachings we received about the customs we were forced into. It goes right along with reconstruction because to just tear it down without rebuilding is foolish. Deconstruction is to seek a better understanding, is to want to break away from religion, is want to be to more want to be more like Jesus, to walk in truth and being bringing people along with you into the kingdom. Yeah. That's perfect.
0: It's interesting cuz it like it reminds me of the whole um boundary focus center focused. cuz it's oh I, the reconstruction part of it's interesting cuz if you're tearing down the uh, within that analogy if you're tearing down the wall or the boundaries you're not really right. reconstructing anything you're just reposturing after that and
1: well and, and invariably you'll find new ones yeah
0: it's it's the exploration that the previous
1: yeah, yeah exactly was. it's the it's when you deconstruct dogma, often you'll just replace it with new dogma. Right. So, yeah, that's a conversation we've been having a lot. Yes. The danger are going So we're going to talk about that the next couple of episodes. Yeah. Boom. Boom. This is a young man. Tune in, Kevin, for the dogma conversation. My personal deconstruction, which I didn't know was deconstruction until recently, has been a 30-year journey, and I'm still not at the finish line. However, I've discovered that the journey of discovery has been incredible. My love for Jesus and my love for his word grows every day. I've come to the place where I can truly value the journey, not just yearn for the destination. Even though we've never met you, Tim, and Seth, our old friends via the podcast. How fun is that? Yeah. But I love that. Somebody who's been doing this for 30 years (laughs) and is still saying, yep, it's still happening. Oh, that's very encouraging. Yep. Yep. Because I guarantee I'll be so, doing it for 30.
0: If I go that long. Oh,
1: 30 for 30. All right, I've got two more. Two more. And then we got some questions. Yeah, yeah. 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 Young lady, first of all, love the new website. Young Boom. Wo- Young Woman. It looks young woman. Dang it. <laughs> yes, young woman. It looks awesome and makes finding a series way easier. Great job. Boom. I figured I'd share my catalytic moment for initiating uh, my deconstructive journey. I found for me that the general Christian response to COVID at the beginning, as well as the response to the social justice movement, shook up a lot of negative feelings. Felt really difficult to be a part of a group that was not willing to care for others seriously or express concern with those whose voices were being quieted and ignored. In the midst of that, I found myself feeling really almost disgusted with the way a typical Sunday service was being formatted. So there's that again. Yeah. I've attended multiple churches and even worked at some, and I began to realize that every format felt exactly the same. Announcements, prayer, three worship songs, and increasing beats per minute. Prayer again, a guy preaching a sermon, maybe one more worship song if the sermon was particularly moving and more prayer. I found I literally couldn't stomach it anymore and just stopped going. That was exactly my experience.
0: What's that? That was exactly my experience. Yeah. That same. Yeah. I got like the formula of the Sunday morning when I could predict what everything was going to happen and being on the worship team and up on the stage and knowing when the build downs and the break up like the, or breakdowns and buildups were going to happen before they did it. Just, yeah. it felt very hollow.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm learning so much by working in a church community again. And that is a conversation for another time, but we're <laughs> deliberately warring against this. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it, that is so tough. Um, (laughs) uh, What sealed the deal is how little I was reached out to by my supposed community after my departure. My husband and I just moved to a new state this week and have not heard from a single person from that church. All in all, this journey has been full of grief and bitterness and frustration. I'm not even sure where I'm landing in terms of actual faith. Right now, even that seems too hard. It feels almost like I'm trying to understand Jesus and the human reaction to Jesus at the same time, and it's overwhelming. That's really insightful. Hearing you guys process some of the same stuff has been instrumental in my journey. Thank you. Hmm. That is a
0: lot. Well well said. What was that again? Uh, processing Jesus and the it
1: human... It feels almost like I'm trying to understand Jesus and the human reaction to Jesus at the same time, and it's overwhelming. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's why there's Tim's Troubled
1: Times. <laughs> <laughs> that could be an every week feature, by the way. We only, we only feature it when it's especially egregious. Well, the,
0: it was a, last week or two weeks ago with um, that Turning Point conference. I can't remember if we talked about it last week or not with Donald Trump Jr. doing his like, mm-hmm. turn the other cheek thing. Mm-hmm. And I know yeah. Jesus says to do this, and I kind of understand it, but I think that we need to kind of take a different approach yeah what well, hasn't worked for us yeah which is fascinating and that same week his dad the former president was at a mega church in Dallas and you know it just turned it, the church service turned into a rally I don't know you're just watching I was reading an article yesterday on the dangers of the party that's forming within the Republican Party that's based in all of this kind of like crazy hmm. religious um, rhetoric and I don't know it's 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 kind of scary yeah, but you watch like I'm watching. I couldn't sleep last night, so I did a deep dive on people's Instagram accounts that I would blocked, so that they <laughs> I wasn't seeing their stuff anymore because it was <laughs> riling me up too much. But so I went
1: down that rabbit hole. That sounds of, that sounds like something that's going to put you right to sleep. Not nope. Yep. It was
0: a it was a bad move. But just seeing the way that scripture and church and faith is just constantly manipulated, and now there's so much as we've said a million times with social media that message just spreads like wildfire. Yeah. You just see some really scary stuff. That So that's all that to say with what um, she just said with trying to yeah. understand Jesus while at the same time trying to digest all this other stuff. It can be very overwhelming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I just realized for as much as I worked in church, I and a whole bunch of us just literally don't believe what we're talking about.
0: See, no, that's really fascinating too.
1: When pressed, we'll go to what's expedient over what our abstract theology tells us. Yeah. So, you know, when 9-11 happened, there weren't many voices in pulpits saying, forgive, forgive, forgive. It was, I mean, and I was part of that. Just like, nope, we got to take care of this. This is a big deal. This is our defining moment. This is our our pearl harbor right you know and then and then that cause got hijacked by religious political language yeah and you know i mean it was just we all i mean we all collectively at least seemed like we all collectively sort of agreed okay well let's set aside the whole sword you know Well we're, you, if you if you war by the sword you will die by the sword yeah thing. totally
0: this morning uh or um our mutual friend sent me an article the other day about there was this guy in Oregon who was on a call with Biden or I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were. And he said, let's go brand into him on the call. And so now he's considering running for public office, but he's praying to see if that's, if if God, if if God has that for him or whatever. And so it started this whole
1: conversation about, I was a part of that thread, Tim. Well, I was talking. I was talking to someone. Else I'm this sorry, morning you about don't it. remember me.
0: <laughs> I was talking to someone else about it this morning. Pull it, like uh. once you start to pull the thread on prayer in that way, using prayer to kind of justify something that you already want to do, or oh, to man. anoint yes. a decision such as that. The guy, you know, doesn't have any political experience, but because he used profanity towards the president, now he has a platform. So he's like, should right. I? Should I use right. that to run? Right. Anointed and then, and it's by like God, the, but then when you pull the thread on that, if that's not a way of prayer, then you, but once you start to pull a thread, it starts to delineate it down through all of the way that we use prayer, not just in these incendiary
1: ways, but no, no, it's in not about ways. how we use. It's how we use religious language, and prayer is just one expression sure. of that.
0: But it's interesting because we were talking this morning about uh, delineating that down in the in the concept of prayer and how we use prayer, and that thread once you pull it goes all the way down to it ends at the bottom and it's like, well then what is prayer for? Why do we pray and how should yeah. we pray? And so then we start yeah. talking with the Lord's prayer and what, what that, you know, when the disciples had the exact same conversation in front of Jesus and they're like, Hey, we don't, we, right. I don't get it anymore. Like you've kind of screwed right. all this up. You've flipped it over upside down. We're all lost. Can you teach us how to do this correctly? Yeah. And it's interesting to delineate that out. If we like my wife and I were talking about, you know, kind of translating that whole prayer in terms that our kids will understand and posting them on their walls by their bed and just being mm-hmm. like, we're just going to stick, we're just going to stay here because mm-hmm. none of us really understand prayer outside of that. I'm sharing this yeah. as a form of like, this is the a recent piece of deconstructing something that I was like, this is something, you know, Hey, I'll, of course I'll, I'll be praying for you or thoughts and prayers or, um, different way that we use that rhetoric uh, yes. and prayer becomes kind of this, token that we hand back and forth but it's kind of a it's a worthless token it has nothing that behind it other than like good intentions or i don't know but right picking that apart and then looking at the lord's prayer and i know we we have an episode i don't know in the sermon on the mount so 20 or 30 episodes back that you spent a good time picking that apart but i think that's helpful for especially for that that young woman who just shared that you know, trying to understand Jesus and the culture yep. at the same time, something like that makes sense. And you said that last episode, right? Like, the four Gospels,
1: yeah. the Lord's Prayer. Oh, well, the gospels, there's nothing new that Americans are doing, right that ancient Israel or the first Christians didn't do. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like they, there have always been these reactions. Right. What's fascinating is what Jesus does with them and how he responds and who he rebukes and um that's the interesting bit yeah. is how he responds to the responses and it's so for me it's so instructive yeah cuz it's not what i want to do <laughs> i got one more All right. my friend no it's good this one this one is um this one is a lot and and worth sharing Um, so I, I, am heavily, heavily editing, but, uh, and there are lots of personal details that I am skipping. Um, so, uh, my adult years, uh, fast forward to my adult years and I was sitting in my pastor's office, sharing concerns about the direction our church was going. I shared my thoughts and concerns knowing that I could complain about the state of our church without actually having to step up to do anything about it because I was a woman and they would never allow that. (laughs) Oh, I thought about that and I was frustrated. It felt like a cop-out. I thought the thought of teaching terrified me, but it also didn't seem right that I couldn't even rise to the occasion and stretch myself to learn and grow and fill a need I saw because I was a female. Then there was the 2016 election, and I watched in horror as Trump was elected. How could, quote, Christians vote for such a vile man when I remembered as a child the moral outrage of Clinton's indiscretion? That, man, that was what did it for me. I have no issue with people voting for for Donald Trump. But the rationale and the Christian language that was used to justify that, that's what I have a problem with. Because they told us, all my big Christian heroes told me in the 90s that character mattered. Right. <laughs> they and, literally said
0: character does not matter. Oh,
1: they made it the whole thing was about how much character mattered yeah. in that office. And then we throw that out when we have somebody who, it seemed to me apparent that that he was just uh, pandering. Yeah, plain as day. Uh, to things we wanted to hear, permission to say Merry Christmas and, um, you know supreme court justices and so on and and again if you're if you voted for donald trump good on you i have no i we're not in the business of telling each other how to vote right but it's on either side when you christianize it that's the idolatry and, and it, of course it happens on both sides yeah. but this this was exceptionally loud on this particular side and it was that very hypocrisy it was oh yeah now character doesn't matter yeah, you know the guy who wrote the systematic textbook that I was supposed to study in seminary was writing op eds for why it's biblical to vote for for him. And you're just like, that's nope, nope, <laughs> not at all. So I'm with you, young woman, on that. I had been told that to be a Christian was to be a Republican, um, but this. The election of, of our former president, I couldn't do it. I'd also been told that you can't really be a Christian if you're a Democrat, but my sister and brother in law were Democrats. Um, we, there were many in our family who doubted their salvation. Uh, then there was the separation of families at the southern border, how inhumane um, those that uh, I saw somebody who was re- respected on social media judge those parents. Of breaking laws and putting their children in danger where was the compassion and realization the parents who were separated that that was, from their kids yes jeez, yes that, that was the parents fault where was the compassion and the realization that our ancestors just that that excuse me that that was our ancestors just a generation or three earlier right <laughs> Another issue, could women teach? Could a Democrat go to heaven? Was systematic racism real? Was homosexuality really a choice? And if it wasn't, would God really condemn them for something they didn't choose? Um, <laughs> I hit a point where I realized I had to throw away my beliefs and start fresh. I had to look at all the data, read differing viewpoints, and see where God took me. I decided I would rather get to the judgment seat of Christ and be told I would loved too loosely hmm. and allowed too many things that I had turned people away from Jesus because of my actions. So I had been told I loved too loosely rather than turning people away because of my actions. My healthy, uh, I had a healthy relative that contracted COVID and ended up on a ventilator. Um, this was at the time when churches were easing restrictions. Um, and they, and the thing she was outraged by is that they quoted Philippians 2. Um, look out for the interests of others as justification for their decisions. What? <laughs> and she writes, I felt like I was being gaslit. How were these decisions putting others above yourself? With my relative on a ventilator, I simply could not bring myself to go back inside a church um, uh, that still believed those things. Um, and, and she kind of concludes, Reconstruction isn't sexy. I wish I could have lived blissfully unaware. I wish I didn't question and didn't feel like I have to risk um, my family relationships to help find Jesus. My world has been rocked these last couple of years and I've reached my breaking point in faith and have slowly, with the help of books and podcasts, been introduced to a Jesus who can handle my doubts, to a faith that can be stretched and pulled and examined as I work out my faith with fear and trembling. I'm rediscovering Jesus, uh, Jesus's love, Um, and him and my faith are not in danger of being lost, Mm. just my evangelicalism. Boom. Amen. (laughs) Right. That's the scary thing is we were told to, to deconstruct evangelicalism is to deconstruct faith. And that's, and, and that is the core lie. That is the core lie. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, we got some questions, my friend, and um, I know, good night. You guys are amazing. Thank you for those. We have more coming in, and we'll probably just read a couple sort of every episode as we go through, but it's kind of our year-end deal we've been getting a lot, and just wanted to share some of those. Yeah,
0: and it's cool, too, because we'll get emails from people responding to emails from people, like, I'm, I'm in that same spot, or I... Uh, like very specific like I you know without sharing too many details but there are like yeah it's cool to see how much your emails are inspiring other people to yes kind of be free up a little
1: bit we just got one a couple of days ago that was talking about someone who shared earlier and just expressing deep compassion for them all right we got some questions Tim yeah, yeah, And um, so let's do, we got one on the tweets that I don't think we've ever addressed um, at Mike Erie and gone Timothy. <laughs> have you guys ever done a Voxology podcast on the unforgivable sin, that, that, the amount that, of anxiety yeah. and torment it has caused me. And then there's like a really kind of anguished emoji. I'm sure there are others who have been alarmed by it also. Yeah. No question about it. So, let's spend a couple of moments on that one because that that in evangelical circles you know gets uh, every time i've done a QA, this comes up mm-hmm. um and, and so i'm going to take matthew's version of this um matthew twelve thirty. whoever is not with me is against me whoever does not gather with me scatters and so i tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. So the natural question is, oh man. <laughs> so there's there's what? And um and I've heard and given the different replies uh, one is that um if you're worried about committing the unforgivable sin you haven't committed it because the unforgivable sin here is the rejection of jesus mm-hmm. um, and and i would say that's not exactly right so as i've grown uh and explored more of the national park I've come to realize <laughs> the biggest principle in reading the gospels is simply this jesus is writing to, for, and about Israel. That's where every conversation starts. And if you take that text and put it back in its original pericope, fancy word for section, then, uh, and, and, and this, this whole section in Matthew is about the rejection of Jesus by Israel. Okay, so this is going on for chapters, but in this particular section, Like, like Matthew 13 is a whole bunch of parables about this and about the nature of the kingdom that's being rejected. Um, but this particular episode begins in chapter 12, verse 22, when they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute. Now it was thought that you could only cast out demons by learning their names. Right? So when, if you came across somebody who was mute, this was a messianic sign, according to some. Blind, even more so. Um, So to have somebody who was blind and mute was a big deal. You couldn't use the standard uh, devices of exorcism in the first century available to most Jewish exorcists. And it just says that Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David, right? Which the, the Messiah come in accordance with 2 Samuel uh, to reclaim the royal lineage of David and sit on the throne of Israel. So it's a political title. Jesus knew their thoughts. Oh, excuse me. I I forgot the most important part. But the Pharisees heard this and they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. (coughs) So what are they saying? They're saying, the works themselves are unmistakable. They could not argue with the works themselves. So they never, the Pharisees never say, no, that didn't happen. Right? It's irrefutable. So they have, to, they have to disparage Jesus on a couple of different counts. One was his origins, that he came under sort of shrouded circumstances around his birth. So there's references to that in the book of John and other places. Another was that, that Jesus was in league with the demons and that was why he was so successful as an exorcist right. that's why he didn't have to use all of the the tricks or the rituals or the incantations or whatever so so they attribute the work that the spirit was doing in jesus to jesus's opponent um as portrayed in the synaptic gospels uh, and john too is this enemy of darkness and one of the names this enemy went by was beezable which, which is a, a great believe, name well it's a canaanite a canaanite name i think he was a canaanite fertility god but i'm not quite sure about that so jesus responds he knew their thoughts and said every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined yeah. and every city so he's just saying listen it, that that doesn't make sense why would satan cast out satan if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? Right. Oh, I love it. So he's just rhetorically on fire. His speech is on fire. <laughs> so then they will be your judges, these other exorcists. But if, I dry, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, the Spirit of God, if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, there's a parallel saying, I believe it's in Luke, where Jesus says, if I, by the finger of God, drive out demons. And it's the idea of what the Exodus, like that, that the, the Egyptians could only mimic like the first two miracles of Moses. But they couldn't mimic the first two or three, and they couldn 't mimic anything beyond that right and the, and it was attributed to the finger of God at work through Moses, so the idea is that Jesus is here kind of assuming the Moses role, but now instead of a worldly Pharaoh he's going after this earthly pharaoh the uh, one he calls the archon of the world, the ruler of this world, yeah and and says, in fact, when you see me doing this, it is the spirit of God at work and the kingdom that I come bearing is now right here next to you. Then he goes into, whoever is not with me is against me. And I can tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit. Now, when have we just talked about the spirit? Right Right then. And what was that conversation? They attributed the work of the spirit to the demonic. Yeah. Um, so, how in the world do you, do you reach into hearts that are so hardened, they are willing to deny the clear work of God to attribute it to something else? Hi, Mazzy.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Mazzy.
1: Hi. How you doing, sweet girl? Good. Hey, how do you like that puppy? I love it. Really? Yeah. Yeah? Is yeah. it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. What's his name? Oliver. Oh, do you call him Ollie or do you call him Oliver? I call
0: him Oliver, but sometimes no. I call him Ollie.
1: That's fair. That's fair. You can't him. name him down with one. Is he very, is he cute? Yeah. Is he kind of furry like your dad? Like your dad's face? Yeah. <laughs> yeah Does he pee him. a lot like your I dad? I you him right now. No, you can't.
0: You're just pulling my
1: Head. <laughs> hey, I need to
0: go upstairs. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye,
1: bye, bye Mazzy. Hey, bye. hey, Mazzy, we love hearing from you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for saying hi. Okay. I bye-bye. want you to have a great day today, okay? And play with Oliver a lot. And love your dad. Okay. In that order.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Okay. Sorry. You were saying. So in context, this isn't about our rejection of Jesus or my sinning the worst possible sin imaginable as a Christian. This is this is something, and I, there are very good commentators who I agree with that say, you can't commit this sin right now. Right. I mean, you can demonstrate the same hardness of heart, but he's speaking to that generation. He even says other places, it will be worse for you israel in this generation than even like the gentile cities of tyree and sidon um, it will be worse for you on judgment day because of what was shown to you and you rejected it so this to me is about the hardening of the religious leaders hearts against jesus in face of the clear work of the spirit of god which
0: thematically runs in line with most of his teaching from that time about
1: religious leaders absolutely absolutely jesus is, the opposition and misunderstanding of jesus's movement fuels so many of his parables and his interactions with religious leadership absolutely yeah as it, as you would expect it would yeah. because jesus is deconstructing a lot of their judaisms uh, as he's proclaiming the kingdom yeah so uh, i, I want to assure you and I want to assure any listener who's been troubled by this passage: yeah. read it in context. All right that that section I think goes from Matthew eight. <laughs> oh so man! So it's a great for
0: uh, um, what's, uh, Dan Kimball's?
1: Yes, yeah. Never just read a verse. Yeah. It's what Dan told us. And and that's true. You can so hijack this thing and pile on guilt. Yeah. Which is exactly how it's been. As an evangelistic, like, man, if you harden your heart to Jesus, he can never forgive that.
0: Well, it's guilt and shame, but it's also that existential dread of like, am I committing, you know? Yeah. Am I committing the unforgivable
1: sin? And, you know, and you just live in that dread. Totally. So as much as human words can help release people from that dread. Um read it in in context, read it as it's written to a group of people, not to individual Christians 2000 years later. And you realize this this thread is consistent with what Jesus says other places um when people oppose him who should know better? It's not. He never says things like these to the brokenhearted, the downcast, the marginalized. And no, see, the kingdom dynamic is one that always lifts up the downtrodden and brings down the mighty. Right. Now, in reality, we're all the downtrodden, <laughs> but but there's a sense in which when the kingdom comes across somebody who is in prison um, to sin or literally in prison right. who is homeless who is outcast i mean sexual minorities women i mean the whole cast of characters we're familiar with that jesus's word of the kingdom is a word of liberation and a word of salvation but salvation doesn't just mean to get to heaven it means restoration to the new community of israel that jesus is building around himself and then the word of the kingdom to those who are self-righteous to those who are wealthy to those who have ever reason to be sufficient and to be proud. Jesus speaks a harder word to them. And if, if you know, I, as as one who's been and can still be very self-righteous, easy words normally don't melt um, those hearts. Sometimes hard words need to be spoken. Yeah, it just, in the whole and, thing,
0: everything you just said, just there's the elements of the sermon. There's just so much uh, support for trying to understand everything in a, the full context. Yeah. Like all those themes Re- are prevalent yes. throughout and they weave together in a very congruent manner that you
1: lose. Absolutely. And and it's summarized, I think it's in James uh, and other places, but it's summarized by this sentence. God opposes the proud, yeah. but graces the humble. Yeah.
0: End of story. Which helps you that is understand the-, the blessed are the meek and blessed are the weak and or yep. the poor and it, everything starts to
1: daisy chain Absolutely. itself through. Yeah. Yes. So when you see Jesus saying seeming harsh words, um there is a sense in which uh he's doing rhetorically strategic things in an honor-shame culture yeah. to, for the sake of the audience to show the barrenness of his opponent's worldview. So that's why he's saying like If Satan attacks Satan, his kingdom is divided. I mean, I can imagine looking at the crowd. He's not trying to convince the Pharisees, right? If they're willing to commit to that, uh, he's doing this because these were all conversations that were had publicly. Now, there are times that we'll say Jesus withdrew to his disciples, but we don't know if it was just the 12. Sometimes it says that, sometimes it doesn't. And often the crowds found him him even there. So point is, this is a great uh, test case of taking a verse and beating each other up with it when the verse clearly refers to something very specifically historically that's going on now can people still miss the kingdom today well of course Can, can still can people still harden their hearts and and attribute the clear work of god to something else absolutely are they committing the same sin the pharisees did i would argue no right It's got to be so
0: frustrating, though, from Jesus' perspective, now to watch us do the same type of like, using like misinterpreting and using it to ostracize or totally, totally create that existential dread or guilt or shame or whatever, and be like, oh, come on, guys, like I we went through this already. You wrote it down just in case.
1: Yep. I have two uh, questions. Let's see. Uh, I have two further questions and both of them have to do with Christmas. And these were interesting to me. So I'm going to read them both because they share a theme and it was something I'd never ever thought of. And so I'm so grateful for these two people to write in and, um, (laughs) and, and sort of express this. So, um, uh, I just wanted to add into the conversation. Um, about, I think, deconstruction, uh, that the Christmas season is so hard. Yeah. For me, I think it stems from too many years of garbage, religious trauma, and family trauma. I think it has been one of the last things from my deconstruction left to reassemble, if that's even possible. That's interesting. Mine, my, I think my story, might be slightly different uh, in that as a child, my family believed that Christmas was Satan's holiday had had nothing to do with Jesus. So we were raised to hate it and believe all those who celebrated Christmas were sinners. Huh. Then around 11, my parents started going to a different church. And just like that, Santa was real. And only good and faithful Christians celebrate Christmas. You can see where that would produce some whiplash. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, I got some mixed messages. Fast forward to being um, married and um, some of my extended family make such a huge consumer-focused deal of uh, Christmas, nothing really about Jesus, and they get angry if I don't turn in a list of wants to them. I just hate all of it. Lots of therapy later, and I, I, well, I still feel the same way, but I can't sit through it without drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I I don't think you're alone there. (laughs) I have a soft, I just have a soft heart for those who struggle during the season and try to show the sweetest love of Jesus to strangers and friends alike. Yeah. We try as a family to encourage our kids to think deeply about what fits for them and not box them in with our beliefs or traditions. I know the pain that that can cause. Hmm. So here's somebody who, wow, received really, really, it's evil, it's good, And then there's this, no, consumerism is acceptable, which is some sort of, you know, middle ground that we've come to accept. The other question has similar themes. Um, Many times on the podcast, uh, I've heard Tim mention that he has a disliking with many holidays and that (laughs) Halloween is the only holiday that he appreciates. Yes, and we're all frankly concerned about this on the podcast. (laughs) my question is what's the reason behind this oh my goodness And is isn't halloween doesn't halloween have dark intentions but what brings me to even ask this question is that i'm wrestling with the christmas holiday myself i was raised in a legalistic home in which christmas was considered pagan and coming out of that entering the world of american non denominational church i see advent and christmas being about jesus and his birthday and i don't see it about i don't see it being evil Mm. The reasoning I got from my family members is that Jesus was not born on December 25th and that the Bible never tells us to celebrate his birth, which incidentally, it never tells us to celebrate Easter either, Hmm. and yet we do that. So we'll get to that point in a second. They also say that it's a pagan holiday that the church has embraced and is worshiping a pagan God. I don't see the harm in celebrating Jesus But I also question where does the tree come in, or the presents, or even the commercial consumeristic aspect of the whole thing. I would love for some solid references to know where to start. The internet is full of theories, and it seems like you find what you're looking for. Yeah. You know, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. That's true. I don't know how to convince my family that Christmas is not harmful, but at the same time I'm not certain I want to follow Jesus faithfully and not just follow cultural norms, that I haven't been able to find good resources to know where to start, would love your thoughts. Man, I had no idea um, that that this was a thing. Yeah, Um, we we raised our parents, our parents. We raised our children. (laughs) Where's that going? (laughs) By telling them the truth about you know the whole Santa thing and reindeer and whatever else. Um, But we would never ever expect anyone else to follow into that. You know way of doing it and it certainly doesn't make us more healthy or righteous than than you know not doing that but um so so first i I just want to state i want to have great respect for people and how they understand all of the traditions and rituals around these sorts of big holidays and i have huge respect for people who want to excavate the the surface layer of our celebrations around this holiday totally I think both of us would would say yes we remain unimpressed <laughs> with uh cultural celebrations of the holiday as it pertains to um what we think the birth of of Jesus is actually communicating in the world. Yeah. Um whether or not it's evil. Let's talk about that <laughs> Timothy.
0: Well, let me start by saying I don't like Christmas. I've established that, but I realize I'm full, like just like you said, I f- I'm fully aware that it's everybody's favorite holiday, and it's my entire family's favorite holiday. It's all my friends' favorite holiday, um, and I love that. I have no problem with any of that. I have no problem with people celebrating this kind of stuff. I just have found it to be, you know, I I always struggled with Christmas Eve services because they felt contrived, and it's all those things that the young woman was saying about um, what she kind of lost in church. It's the, it's the pinnacle of that. Yeah. Like it's just like, it's so, and I just don't see. And for me with Halloween, Halloween's a season of misfits. Like it's, I've always identified with that. I was always a misfit in high school. I didn't fit into any group. And then Mm -hmm. monsters, things like Frankenstein or whatever, those things are all about like revealing true elements of society and culture. Like those are all, all those things are written about.
1: Yeah, it's social commentary.
0: And I love all that. Like Frankenstein, uh, alienation and the importance of family and what happens when you uh, ostracize yourself from family or community and what what it looks like for playing mm. God and the idea of Prometheus mm. and stealing fire from the gods and, and how we define what a monster is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the werewolf and being caught in the sins of the father and in these cycles Mm -hmm. and uh, judgment within the cycles, what happens when (laughs) you see the uh, repercussions of your actions within the immediate and what does it look like to get out of that and purification, yada, yada, yada. And there, I found that so interesting and fascinating because instead of masking everything with ribbon and bows, Halloween exposes pieces of us that are real. And then the consequences of that. And I've always found Mm. that very interesting and they'll do Mm -hmm. it through hideous things. We've talked about the grotesque on here, Um, and different things like Mm -hmm. that. And I have found all that stuff to be really compelling. Do I think it's Mm -hmm. for everybody to sit in that mindset? Absolutely not. And I don't care (laughs) that no one, that most people don't share that. I'm totally fine with that. So I don't know that I find Christmas, um, evil or dangerous or any of that. I think there's definitely repurposed hymns and some fluff and different things that have been, uh, painted over the top of it all. But, you know, yeah. That's fair. It doesn't feel like and, and when, the, someone shared the actual, like a realistic painting of Mary giving birth in a barn. Oh, and it was like this, it was just so totally. gnarly and what a yeah. crazy blood everywhere. Yeah. Just a crazy incident. He's got
1: scaly. It's got scaly head
0: and taking that in light of the entire story of totally. God becoming man. I mean, it's just a, it's just a wild thing yeah. that we just turned into like a Hallmark card. Or
1: whatever. I don't know. I mean it's great family time. Yeah. Man, I so sympathize with that. Absolutely. Um, I have a ton of thoughts. Um, and I'm no expert, I don't know the origins. I I I'm fairly confident Jesus was not born on December twenty five. I think he was born in the spring. Yeah, there's very compelling um, arguments for that outdoor. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the shepherds exactly. uh who are out lambing. Um, but uh, and I'm fine with, you know, the, the it doesn't tell us. I mean, the gospels don't tell us so many biographical details about Jesus. I'm always just like, okay, well, I, obviously we would have fixated on those things because um, of how nuts we are. So I'm okay that we don't know exactly where he was born or, or excuse me, or when he was born. And um, personally, I think that historically, it is unmistakable that there are all sorts of myths and rituals that have filtered in um, to the Christmas story as we experience it. You know, thousands of um, you know thousands of years after the Jesus story um, was true. So I, I don't have. I doubt that there are concerns about pagan origins or whatever else but but andy crouch all right so here's a resource for you andy crouch c-r-o-u-c-h wrote um uh, uh, i emailed to you staff yeah, so we'll put it in the show notes, notes. yeah it's called christmas is for everyone and he deals with this idea And he doesn't use this word, but it's what he's arguing. It's the idea that Christmas subverted the Roman Empire, the Christmas story. There was a competing Christmas story in uh, the Roman Empire that celebrated the birth of the emperor through uh, epiphany. Um, that, that heralded good news, there was another savior, there was another peace. And so when you're looking at Luke's announcement in the Christmas story, you're getting language that has been co-opted by the Jesus community to show that there is a rival kingdom. Right. And, uh, and, and the gospel just does not shy away at all from using language that was already propagandized Um, for the grand story of Rome to then tell a counter story that focused on the misfit and the outsider and those that would have been neglected and cast out. The Halloween heads. The Halloween heads, absolutely. And so what you have is the Christmas story subverting. And subverting something means you take the terms it uses and then use them to do something else. That's what it means to subvert something. So what what Christians did with the celebration of Christ's birth is they subverted the Roman story. Now, does that mean it has a pagan origin? It does not. The origin of the Christmas story is Jesus of Nazareth, right? Right. And the origin are are the gospels that record all about his life, death, resurrection, and the two, uh, maybe three if you count John's prologue, uh, that record something about his birth into the world. So, so the idea that yes, that, that there are pagan elements, whether it's a tree, or whether it's the December twenty fifth day, I am com- I am just fine with the, the Christian story subverting other elements Holy. and turning those on themselves about the light coming into the world, which was what the winter solstice celebrations were about. So, I do not think that celebrating um, that 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 a legalistic application of should we celebrate a holiday or not, right. has in any way, shape, or form anything to do with discipleship to Jesus. Yeah. But rather what we're talking about is what are the idolatries that America has capitalized upon, or wherever you live, that the Christmas story promotes, and you both identified the consumeristic nature of it. Yeah. I totaled up what uh, our family spent on uh, presents, and that could have done a lot of other things. Um and I understand that gift giving was tied to the you know wise men but they didn't come until 2 years later and all that jazz. So utterly it's been it's been utterly corrupted by American values. Yeah, anyone who's worked in but,
0: retail during a Christmas season has felt like the just overwhelming just negativity that gets tied into that and totally. But I don't think it's I a, don't consider that part of Christmas but the season is full of stress and anxiety and yeah. Which is not great for people with a lot of stress and anxiety, not pointing fingers. Yeah.
1: No, and, and no. And what you do into all of that is you add a puppy. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and that puppy. really, that really helps. Um, for me, the, here's the irony, and we'll close um, with this, I think, unless you have something you want to add. I have a thousand thoughts. Well, then add them. I'll hold them. Bruh. Bruh. I'd be interested to hear if anyone else had experiences like this with yeah. Christmas, being told that it was satanic. Um,
0: yeah, I didn't see that one coming.
1: Yeah, I, I had neither, But I'd, I'd been told that Santa and Satan shared the same letters.
0: <laughs> Elliot told, so, Elliot revealed that to us yesterday in the
1: car. He's like, yeah. were you
0: guys aware of that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Um, but I had... So, um, I remember specifically my wife and I were married. I we did not have kids yet, but um, Christmas was just sort of a very disappointing. We hadn't we hadn't gotten into our groove as a couple about our traditions, our our thing. Right. And so we just kind of went home and just stayed with family just fell and, and, and fell in line yeah. and fell in line and and kind of slept to walk through the whole thing. I don't even remember. A journal entry uh, where I was like, I just feel like I'm sleepwalking through this whole thing. We ended up after the day after Christmas, we went down to Disney World. And my favorite, one of my favorite spaces in the world is Epcot. And there's this back, there's a back part of Epcot. That's all these, it's 11 different nations. And of course it's commercialized and sanitized. And I, I know, I know it all is, but for me, it's always been a very, meaningful place. I don't know why it captured my imagination when I was very young. Yeah. And I still find just a ton of creativity and significance there. Anyway, we were going down there and I just thought, ah, it's just another Christmas thing. And I'd never been to Epcot around Christmas time. What was fascinating though is they had at every country actors from that country representing the different Christmas traditions Mm. of each of those countries. And then it, the, the crowning moment, and I had no idea this was happening, but they gathered several high school choirs and professional vocalists, a celebrity narrator, and a, an orchestra. And in this big amphitheater, they told the Christmas story from Luke. They read the verses. They sang the songs with full, like, seriousness. And, and I... I don't know, I wept <laughs> like crazy. Here we were in this absolutely commercialized- Monument to consumerism. Yes. And sitting in the middle of that was the Christmas story and they were reading it. And I encountered, I've never ever experienced uh, Christmas the same since. Because I encountered literally light and darkness hmm. by people who may or may not have been Christian in a very secularized place. And one of the points that Crouch makes in his article is that this is the one Christian story, Easter too, but much less so, that Americans just can't get enough of. Even if they misunderstand it, even if they miscelebrate it, even if it's misleading. There's still something about that, and the and the power for me of having that celebration, which I was not expecting, have ha- have been one of the most moving religious experiences of my life. Is not lost on me yeah. um, that there is still power in that story, even if it's not um, perfectly encapsulated. Do well, you think? So, do you
0: think it's partly because you were in an environment which you weren't expecting that to happen?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I show up to a I show up to a Christmas Eve service. And well, yeah, damn right, we better tell the story right. and sing the songs, right? <laughs> that goes into the formula you're talking about. Right. But I'm just giving an example of of what these legalistic people would say is a pagan space, and yet, what happened in that pagan space was was this little Jesus boy, you know, got whooped up into the Holy Spirit and you know had an amazing sort of um, experience. And anyway, it's, it. so I'm not, I, I think it's wrong for anybody. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I don't think, uh, binding rules work very well. Um, I think, uh, it is a matter of the heart and I can see some people celebrating Christmas with complete religious piety and yet full of anger, bitterness, and hatred. Um, and they've missed the point entirely. And I can conceive of people who don't know anything about the real meaning of Christmas playing an instrument in Epcot and blessing right. the socks off of some random dude and his wife right. who happened to be there on vacation. Yeah. So, I don't know. All I have to say that is God bless us, everyone. <laughs> 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 All right, last thoughts, Timothy. No, I think that's great. I... I'm sure
0: I have uh, already alienated enough listeners <laughs> as it is. My Christmas is just part of the like, like the she said in the email. You know, the last piece of her deconstruction process. was Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it I somehow don't think, landed well, to be this holiday, and I get that. And it's the same thing I said with prayer. Like, I'm pulling threads on things. I am still kind of in the wilderness on worship, as being someone who was a worship leader for a long time. That I don't, I don't know what the purpose of worship is on sunday mornings i'm I'm a little bit in the dark now with that but i'm trying to Heirs figure oliver. out yeah no, he's there's oliver he's oliver is awake he's awake and terrorizing the office right i'm peeing on everything of course but he is all i to say like with christmas i would love for christmas to have the intent that it should have behind it it is hard when they're like we are like you said we were not no one said to celebrate this um yeah, but if it feels like you but- know we were watching these mega churches down the street to do the, like the multimillion dollar Christmas extravaganza and it's like, well, what if all that money did go towards something that was more right. in line with what the Christ was coming to
1: establish? And it wasn't remember- the
0: giant spectacle.
1: Yes. Do you remember the uh, advent conspiracy?
0: Oh, vaguely. So
1: this was something in the 2000s, the ought as they're called, before 2010. That if you Google it, maybe they still have resources. But it was literally about turning Christmas into something much more appropriate in celebration, um, and how how you would really celebrate the gift of Christ, yeah, and what kind of gifts you would give, and what kind of people you would give those gifts to i like that and it was a wonderful wonderful reflection i know they still have some stuff on the internet um and resources and they did sermon series and so if you're interested i would uh, also check that out all right friends well man that's a whole heck of a lot of stuff yeah i got un- <laughs>
0: deconstructing christmas
1: the unforgivable sin yeah and, and the, the, the wonderful people who are sharing the moments and the stories that really led them to begin to open up and explore the National Park kicked them out of the gift shop. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Get out in the fresh air. Totally. I had a gift shop. Oh, where was it? I was with Seth. Oh, we were, we were going to see Sing 2. Oh, oh Yes and there's a big huge poster of one of the main characters in the lobby that moved and seth just kept staring at it like <laughs> dude this is awesome i don't want to go and we're you know getting late to the movie at this point and it was just the the tug of him going no no bud bud yeah but if you think that's something just wait <laughs> right just wait just wait and so I feel like so so much of that um, is discipleship these days. Just wait, yeah. Just wait. I know it's hard. Well, and we talk a lot I about it's like
0: fostering, you know, curiosity and mystery and wonder. That those are such key elements of this whole thing, this whole yeah. journey with Jesus. Is that there yep. is mystery and there is curiosity and wonder. And as soon as you lose that, I think you do just lock into formula, and then you, you know, sure. just keep moving down that track.
1: All right, friends. It's like being stuck on It's a Small World, after all. Wow. <laughs> they, that's not at Epcot, thankfully. They have some bad music at so Epcot. So you've got that, Epcot,
0: and my happy place at Disneyland was the Haunted Mansion.
1: Oh, of course. Shock, shocker. <laughs> so now that I yeah, just go write no, it over and over again about myself. Oh, I love that. I used to... I, used to, I mean, even as, as recently as be, right, right before the pandemic... I I walked like 13 miles. I just sit and walk all day. Oh, there? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the greatest thing. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I have so many journal pages filled with stuff.
0: I haven't been out to the world. I've only been to the
1: land. You know? Yeah. It's a different... I mean, there's only one original. So, I mean, I, I... The OG was, you know, my first exposure to. But... World's got some stuff. Yeah, if you want to spend lots of money, (laughs) go to the world. Which I do, no question. Um, All right, I'm sure people are interested in our travel plans. So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you, and in 2022, may He give us peace. (laughs) Just
0: hopefully not 2020 part three.
1: Oh. yeah. I, someone was showing a tweet that they tweeted a year ago today <laughs> that said, Hey, 2021 expectations are low. <laughs> and they repeated it for this year. <laughs> they're, they're even lower. Yeah, It's crazy. We've been in the middle of this. It's wild. For two years. I mean, literally a couple of days ago was the first, the first news story came out about a mysterious virus uh originating in china we were talking about Two that with somebody ago. was going on
0: a cruise and i was like oh that's kind of how this all started the moment they just had that ship sitting oh. off the shore for a while they're like i don't know these people are sick we're just gonna leave them on the boat for an indefinite totally. amount of time
1: it's like that. oh my goodness future generations will shake their heads they won't understand what it, it, it's like to have it, been in
0: quarantine or like just shut down for oh this amount of time yeah you think you've yeah. got
1: it rough? When I was a kid, <laughs> we couldn't even leave our house to walk uphill both That's ways right. to school. We just sat there. And this thing called Zoom, new contraption. Our favorite. <laughs> oh, all right, my friend. Till next year. You know, one of the holidays I hate? We should see if people still listen after we do the concluding blessing. We'll find out. I hate New Year's Eve. Oh, so do I. <laughs> I saw I saw me well of course of course you do. <laughs> That's
0: just The only exciting one was uh Y2K where you're just like, all right, what's gonna happen? Yes. But then you watched it happen in Australia and other places first, hours yeah, before we got okay. here. I'm like, oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My okay, so my best New Year's Eve was 2001 we were in a dis we were in epcot for new year's eve and that was a party there's a theme here to your happy place i'm just saying i'm just saying but new year's eve man i saw i saw a meme you know because i'm middle-aged that's what i do (laughs) um that was like hey i haven't yet picked out my new year's eve outfit which i'm gonna wear to my living room yet (laughs) And it's like, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, someone showed me Like, yeah, uh, I already, don't worry, I already picked up my sweatpants for. <laughs> <laughs> there, and there's football on. I'll which... make a good Halloween recommendation for those who are still listening. Oh, nice. Um, you know, growing up, I had, like, I didn't like Brad Pitt for a long time because he was just mm. the golden god that all the girls were swooning over. And then I saw, like, you know, 12 Monkeys and those movies came out. I was like, okay. This yeah. guy's actually pretty yeah. rad. Same thing with yeah. Ryan Gosling for a while there. I was like, oh, okay, Gosling, mm. Gosling. But he made a record. He has a band called Dead Man's Bones. Oh, my goodness. And are he made are a, you
1: seriously talking about this right now? Yes, it's so good.
0: It's it's really a genius record. and What? It's, and it's all inspired by the Haunted Mansion. It's kind of lo-fi, and the music is like the Haunted Mansion music. And he made a whole record with the Children's Choir in L.A., and the record's oh. really good.
1: So there you go nice Terminator I just put Christmas ACDC evening. on and listen to it backwards <laughs> that's how we celebrate <laughs> Halloween
0: thank you thank you thank you for listening to this conversation Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself if you'd like to partner with us you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology you can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us